Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. MashaAllah, nice to be in your midst today. Um, all these wonderful people who are concerned about bringing up their children and uh, what a right and correct concern that is. Um, it, it's not easy. Uh, I am actually really interested uh, with learning from you as much as I'm going to try to share my thoughts with you. So in terms of direct guidance for this age uh, from the Quran and Sunnah, for specifically this age, very direct guidance, there's not as much as, for example, at the birth of the child, which you've probably already heard. So what we have to use is essentially when a person becomes of this, of this age, then there are obviously the characteristics that are required of a Muslim. There's those very specific things which refer to how, how the, the true servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be. Those are discussed. Right? Those are obviously discussed. Then all the issues related to marriage. And the guidance is related to marriage in the Quran, Sunnah, all of that comes in at this time as well. So it was something that we had to look at when we got married or when we were thinking about marrying. Now, these are things that we can, we will have to relook at to get our children married. So all of those things are there anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says a few things about children. Uh, in Surah Al-Kahf, Allah says, Al-Malu wal-Banuna zinatul hayati dunya وَالْبَاقِيَاتُ الصَّالِحَاتُ خَيْرٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ ثَوَابًا وَخَيْرٌ أَمَلًا But then Allah also says in Surah Al-Taghabun, verse uh, 14, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنَّ مِنْ أَزْوَاجِكُمْ وَأَوْلَادِكُمْ عَدُوًا لَكُمْ فَاحْذَرُوهُمْ وَإِنْ تَعْفُوا وَتَصْفَحُوا وَتَغْفِرُوا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ So there's a balance between these. Wealth and children are an adornment for this um, worldly life. But those eternally remaining deeds, the righteous eternally remaining deeds, are better for you by your Lord in terms of reward and better for you to hope in. But our own children can actually become a source of that themselves. That's the beauty. Uh, how does one make their children like that. So we will have questions at the end, right? You can always uh, jot your own questions down and keep them to the side. And inshallah, if we don't cover those things, we will. There's just so much to cover, to be honest, because this is probably the most difficult part. It's when you finally are going to see them off, when you're teaching them adulthood uh, to be on their own. That's why I find this very, very a difficult point. Okay. And while I've written a book on marriage that they discuss, uh, that uh, Mona Aziz discussed earlier, and that was because, you know, I'd been married for over 20-something years and have been dealing with people's marital issues for a similar uh, number of years. So you feel like, okay, you have some capability of doing so. And you feel like if you've been successful in marriage, you can share some of the guidance with others. However, when it comes to children, 
um, you have to first get the oldest ones married off, then I feel like I might be capable of writing a book about it. But since uh, Al-Misbah, Mufti Suhail, he asked to speak about it, I thought, let's at least try to share some ideas. But I'm going to try to learn from you and your questions as well, inshallah. Okay, so to move on now, what the kind of age we're looking at is, you can say, between 19 and 20, after their teens, right? After their teens, because that's all been covered for you. After their teens and onwards, getting them married, preparing for marriage, getting them married, and then dealing with them after they are married, because now you've brought somebody else into uh, your kind of family setup, which is going to be a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law. And that involves a number of other in-laws and things like that. And there's a whole other dynamic that's created by that. So how does one deal with all of that? That's what we're going to be looking at. So firstly, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to keep it in some kind of orderly in some kind of order, but uh, it, it may be a bit haphazard in terms of what we cover, because I think I've got quite a few points down, which I think are relevant. And I've never spoken about this issue before, uh, before, so uh, it might sound a bit uh, disparate here and there, but, but uh, that, that's fine. And uh, if there's anything to clarify, then, you know, inshallah, we will have that discussion with you guys uh, at the end. So we'll have 15 minutes, inshallah, for questions. So, Firstly, to start off, what is the role of the parent uh, at this early stage uh, of ad adulthood and how does it transform? How does it change? And I think that's a very practical issue. You have to remember that there's two things I want everybody to remember here, that what I'm talking about today, um, number one, it may not be relevant for everyone. All right. I'm going to try to make it relevant, but everybody's dynamic is very, very different, right? Because their home dynamics uh, their relationships, their culture, culture plays a huge part in all of this, is going to be very different. I'm going to try to talk about the absolutes and the most pertinent issues, so that should relate, right? How you adjust that, how you interpret that, and how you adapt that to your own life, you know, that's going to have to be you. If you have any discussions about that, you can, you can ask about that later. So that's one thing. Number two, this age, we don't inherit children at this age. You know, we don't first start dealing with our children at this age. The children have probably been with us since birth. So the relationship at this age and our, responsi our responsibilities are going to be cut out. But in terms of our relationship and how we fulfill that responsibility, that's going to depend hugely, hugely on what we did from birth and what we did in their teens. Right. Remember that. So. Subhanallah, everybody's going to be at a different place in this regard of how they've dealt with their children, where their children are at, right, in terms of their relationship. So that's a very difficult thing to guide somebody on because everybody's at a different place, maybe, because we don't inherit our children at this age. So that's why a lot of this is going to depend on the nurture and our style, our relationship that was created through the early stages, because we're not going to inherit children at this age. However, if we want to compare the relationship between when they're 19, 20 and going onwards to when they were 15 and 16, the relationship definitely has to change. And what we mean by change here is that you're going to have to start now taking them a lot more seriously. We should have done that already. We have to take them a lot more seriously because now they're, uh, at that age, 18, 19, in many, many cultures, and throughout our history, children would have been married by now, right? They are adults. They would have been married by now. It's just now that living where we do and education and all of this is delaying marriages, 
right? And then there's some unnecessary issues that are delaying marriages. So it's kind of weird anyway, right? Because if you look in the uh, in the books, people got married uh, 17, 18, they were married. In fact, younger than that, that age. So they would have already been married. Um, the relationship needs to be different because now we're going to have to really think about this, right? I, I don't know how many of you see, because some of you may have children at this age and you've been struggling. Some of you, many of you may be such that you don't have children at this age and your children are maybe still very, very young, right? Or maybe you don't even have children yet and you're just starting ahead, which is really, really good because that's the best policy, right? Which is that you, you're starting in advance so that you can actually <clears throat> project this in the, in the future and prepare for it. Whereas if you're just starting off right now and you're just like, oh, there's, uh, let me get some help with my tarbiya because I've been struggling you know, with, with the nurturing of my children, then obviously that's going to be a bit, bit more difficult. But if uh, with the right dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the right adjustments, we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring about some goodness because uh, um, that, that's all we can hope for. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us success. So I think a few questions, right? A few words I'm going to throw out there, right? Can you trust them to make their own decisions, like decent enough decisions? Can you trust them to make their own decisions? That's a very important. Now, how can you trust them? If you've taught them trust, if you've learned to trust them before, right? That's going to be very important to think about. Um, more importantly, can they trust you to help them make the right choices? Do they value your input? That's a really, really big question. Do your children respect you? Do they think you've done the right thing? If you've got, a, if you've got, a, uh, if you've got children who are telling other children, that my, my mum or my dad just wastes their time doing X, Y, and Z, and they just don't get it, right? Do you think that's what your children are telling others? All right. Now, that, that's a very serious kind of idea. Children need to be able to trust their parents, and that should have been developed from before, that they trust your input, that it's going to be measured input. It's going to be relevant input. It's going to take into consideration their realities you're going to be strict enough you're not going to be allowing them to just do anything and everything but you're not going to be too strict that they can't even do things that they would like to do so all of that needs to be all of that needs to have been tempered already and to have been moderated already that uh, a lot will hinge upon trust respect and having common goals and being on uh, the uh, uh, being having a common vibe between between you so can they trust you to help them make the right choices do they feel like they should come to you as opposed to somebody else to make decisions to make choices about their life or is it somebody else that they go to right and maybe somebody that you do not like okay if they're going to your brother or sister meaning their uncle or aunt okay maybe that's fine and you trust them because they're just more wiser than you, and that's fine, okay? But that's a really important thing to inculcate this kind of trust, that they can trust you at this point to make decisions, and they appreciate your input, they appreciate your interventions, and so on, right? So do they value your input? Have you been able to connect in terms of common goals and, in, uh, and, uh, and uh, ambitions? That's very important, right? <clears throat> 
Right. Have um, the, the next point then is very important is since they're about to get married, self-sufficiency is very important. Can they do them things for themselves? Have you taught them to do things for themselves? That is really, really important. Have you been mollycoddling them until now? Right. So that they can't stand their own feet and they're going to struggle because those people don't make good parents because they're going to really have to learn everything on the job. If they can learn several of these things at home, right, uh, within the nurturing care of their parents, and they can be learned to take on certain tasks and responsibilities, then they're just going to be able to do it much better. So by this age, there should be certain tasks and responsibilities that we give to our children. Right now, it's a different thing if they don't want it. That that's a bit of a different dynamic. But what's known about some parents is that they want them to foc. They want their children to focus even into the ages of twenty-two and twenty-three and twenty-four, right? On just focusing on their career. Like you go home, the mother will do everything for them. So these are even girls, maybe right, daughters and sons, right? And they will just be, they, they just, the, the parents are so focused on their children's career that they will, let, they will push them to go out in the morning, to do their work, to do everything that's related to their occupation, go out, whatever the case is, and come back to a hearty meal that the mother cooks. Whereas this daughter or son has no idea how to run the house. The whole focus is on making money. The whole focus is on position. The whole focus is on career. That is completely wrong because that's not life. That's just a part of life. Right, life is a lot more than that. That is only going to get you so so far. But there's uh, interaction. There's looking after a household, becoming self-sufficient. All of that is very very important. Right? Can they do things for themselves? Are they prepared to run their own household? Okay. So a, a, a few things that you can do is give them certain tasks around the house. That, okay, cleaning this room or that room, you know, I mean, their own room, obviously, right? Can they make their bed by now? Right? But cleaning, cleaning up, doing some basic um, DIY jobs in the house. Uh, this is broken down. Oh, we've got a problem with this bill. Um, your younger brothers and sisters, siblings, uh, we need to buy uh, this console for them or this for them or that. Can you please sort it out? Uh, their, their teacher at school uh, needs to be consulted about certain thing or whatever. Can you please speak to them? So there should be certain things that you can hand over to your children. And if they've been taught well and they're not lazy, right? Or even if they're lazy, you can encourage them. Then they will be able to start taking on certain tasks. Can they go and do shopping for you? Like if you gave them a list and said, okay, can you go and do the shopping? Can they do that for you? All of these things are very important for them to learn their, uh, you know, to, to learn about their own life and how to do it on their own eventually as well, right? Can you trust your children? Can you leave them at home and you go out for a weekend and they will take, uh, take care of the house and make sure they lock up and, and uh, not let the wrong, people's in, uh, long, uh, the wrong people in and so on? Is that something that you can trust them to? These are all things that we need to be thinking about, right? <clears throat> The other thing is, I think in all of this, what's going to really, really help is that can you let go? So when do you make that transition between being completely in charge and directing, directing them in everything to now letting them have an input? 
I think it's really, really important to start letting your children have an input in what you do. For example, there's somebody I know who his father is now telling him that you must buy a house, you must buy a house, you must. He had absolutely no idea how to buy a house, right? How to start looking, what to look for, uh, how to, uh, what do you call it, put the money together and all the rest of it, right? And so <clears throat> he finally bought a house and, and the rest of it. And he's involving his children, right? Because they're looking for a new house. So he's actually involving them in the whole pursuit of the house so that they're prepared for it as well when they are there. You have to get your ch ch children involved in, in big decisions. For example, let's just say that the older siblings are about 20 something and the younger siblings are still 10, 11, 12. You can get the older siblings to be involved in the decision-making about the younger ones sometimes because they've just been through that age. So it's a good idea to get, okay, should they have this console or not? Should they play this game or not? Should they read this book or not? Um, should they do this activity or not? What's your opinion about this, right? Should they be allowed to go out here or there or whatever the case is? Because uh, time continues to change. So what may have been relevant or what may have been a fitna or may have been a challenge outside when we were young, right? Uh, maybe our eldest children know uh, better now what are the more current fitness, all right? What the more current uh, trials and tests and difficulties and challenges are. Right. So that, that's another thing that we need to we need to think about. Right? So letting go means you have to you're still the mother and father, but you're at a different stage of mother and father now. Right. Because you're dealing with more of an adult who has their own mind, who should have had, you know, who could have their own children at this point. So you have to start thinking about it that way. You can't still so you can't even tell them off in the same way, the way you would do before. That has to change. Right. If some people were used to hitting their children. All right. It's not something I'm condoning here. But if something that is going to be definitely now a no, no. Right. There has to be some other way you, you can do this. Right. There has to be some other way. And, but that that's only going to happen if there's a respect. Right. If there's a respect that's developed and a mutual relationship <clears throat> like that. Now, I, I found something very, very useful, which is that Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, one of our great Sahaba of the past who managed to bring a lot of calm after a lot of the turmoil that had started at the end of Uthman anhu's life and which had, uh, which had actually uh, culminated in the murder of Uthman and his martyrdom. And then after that, Ali anhu's four years and some months where there, were, there was a lot of turmoil as well. And then after that was Hassan who became the Khalif. But within six months, it was handed over to Muawiyah anhu. And then for the next 10 years, Mashallah, he managed, despite there being so much, um, <clears throat> some, some retained en enmity and, and, and uh, problems and conflicts and that, he managed to really uh, expand and uh, stabilize everything. And he, I, I believe this is his statement. He says that my relationship with my subjects, the people that I have to, I am responsible for, is, uh, it is like both of us holding on a tug of war uh, with uh, with a string that is as thin as a hair, so it's like I've got a res my relationship with them is uh, is characterized by a uh, a thread like a like a strand of hair between me and them. It's very delicate relationship because it's a strand of hair. Anybody who pushes pulls too much, right, and the other person doesn't let go, that hair 
is going to uh, split. All right. So you have to avoid that. And I believe that this is an apt relationship, right? Apt relationship is a perfectly befitting description for the relationship between uh, parents and children, especially nowadays, especially nowadays when the culture is just so varied and anti-family almost, you can say, right? Um, 50 years ago, people were living in cultures that were pro-family. So if, if it wasn't you, you didn't have to tell them everything, your neighbors, your, your relatives, the people in the town would basically set them aright. But right now we're in an anti-family, uh, uh, we're in an anti-family uh, 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 scenario where uh, it's very difficult. You only, it's you that's looking out for your children. There'll be very few others who will look out for your children. All right. So that relationship is like a, like a hair. If they pull too much, you're going to have to let go. And if you pull too much they and they don't let go, it's going to break. So if, they, if you feel they're pulling too much, you have to pull back. All right. You have to maintain that equilibrium. And that's very important. That's why you can't win every single battle. That's another really important aspect. You cannot really win every single battle. There's just some things that you have to let go. Right. To, for the best, you know, j- just to maintain the status quo sometimes. All right. So that adjustment is going to be consta- constantly needed. Right. Um, now, how, how does one balance between being involved in their lives, because you have to be as a parent, and not intruding and not being seen as intruders? All right. Now, again, different families will have different dynamics in that regard. But I think some of the common things that can help in this regard is have very clear house rules. At the end of the day, they're still staying under your roof. Right. So your rules should count, but your rules should be things that are manageable for them. Right. They should be uh, the rules should be made uh, based on what is a possibility. Right. They need to be open minded rules, not rules that cannot be followed and that are going to be very, very difficult to follow. So but have very clear household rules. Uh, Children, even at that age, right, even older, young adults should not be allowed to just go in and out as they wish not telling you where they're going. That's not the way a family works. And if any child has that kind of an idea, well, I don't know where they got that idea from. Maybe their friends are like that. But you have to sit them down and say, look, we still have a relationship at the end of the day. We care for <clears throat> your, your welfare, your prosperity. All right. We're, we're not going to over, overdo this. We're not going to overly intrude. We're going to let you make decisions and let you do things. But at the end of the day, you're still living under our roof. Right. If you well, once you go away, then you can do whatever you want. Right. But but right now, there's still a time going to be a curfew at night. You need to be home by this time. Right. You, uh, you you cannot go out every day. For example, there are things that you need to do in the house as well. Because what happens with a lot of young children is they just want to live their own lives, though, benefit and leech off their parents. You know, so they want to spend their parents' money. They want to, you know, have their parents cook for them, their mother cook for them, and so on. But they just want to go and enjoy their life. And that's a really bad attitude. And the only, the, the only reason that happens is if we've not taught them responsibility. To be honest, if your children are busy, right, <clears throat> until the day they get married, they're busy, too busy to do anything else, meaning because they're just so focused on uh, studying and, uh, you know, whatever else there is, that's actually much better than having... Children, uh, having young adults with a lot of time on their hand because they'll just waste it. That's what goes on outside. People waste a lot of time, right? So have very clear house rules. And um, <clears throat> the other thing in this regard is that children should not see discrimination uh, between each other, 
in terms of the way parents allow some to do certain things and not others. Okay, maybe there is some difference between the way we will treat our daughters and what is expected of them and what kind of restrictions they have as compared to the boys. But within that reasonable difference, uh, sorry, beyond that reasonable difference, it wouldn't be allowed. So, for example, uh, if there's a family which uh, has their daughters, forces them and encourages them or whatever to do all the housework, but the sons don't do anything at all. They don't even clean a door, right? They don't even wipe down a door or uh, the worktop or, or the dastarkhan, you know, the, the thing that you eat on or the table or whatever, right? And the sisters are told to do everything. And then the... <clears throat> And, and then after that, the status becomes such that even her brothers are forcing them to do everything, expecting that they are the servants of the house. And that's a very, very bad relationship because then you know that what that's creating is that when this guy gets married, he's going to expect his wife to do absolutely everything. Right. And there are families out there who think that women must do everything, everything, literally, literally like a slave or a servant. Yes, women should do uh, all the inside work of the house, then they're responsible for it. But that doesn't mean that the men don't assist them and help them, right? Sometimes you've got the, the case where women have to do even the handiwork, right? <clears throat> they have to even get the tap fixed, right? Whereas that should be the job of the man, the hand, you know, that, that, that generally should be the job of the man in normal traditional households I'm talking about, right? So... <clears throat> Some children should not be given uh, things to do, uh, uh, you know, should not be discriminated against over the others. Besides the general kind of rule, okay, of, uh, older ones are going to do more than younger one and so on. I think a really good idea is to say that we're going to split up and divide the responsibility of cleaning the house for different. So your job is to do the vacuum, right, today, and your job is to do vacuum tomorrow. So you're, you're, both of you are going to alternate. So you're going to do the vacuum uh, today and you're going to do the vacuum tomorrow. It's going to be your responsibility. Or you could say you're going to vacuum all of these rooms and you're going to vacuum all of these rooms and the passage and so on. Or you're going to do this and you're going to do oh, once a week, you're going to clean the windows or whatever the case is. Right. Your, your job is to take out the laundry each morning and hang it up. Right. Your, your job is to iron. For example, you need to get them into ironing as well. Right. Children at that, at that age, 18, 19, should know how to iron their clothing. <clears throat> How long is the mother going to be ironing everybody's clothing, the whole family's clothing of four, five, six people in the house? So others need to pitch into that, right? <clears throat> so don't let certain, certain, uh, certain of your children get away with everything and somebody else has to do all of the work, right? At the same time, you can't make it that the guys have to do all the work and the, the daughters, you just call her princess and let her sit there admiring herself all day long. Right. That, that's completely wrong as well. So um, now let's move on to a bit of responsibility. OK, so how does one teach their children responsibility? Well, the responsibility means finance is a big part of responsibility. Taking care of certain tasks around the house is part of responsibility. That's reality of life. I give you uh, you, you have to teach your children to budget. Right. Let, let's just say a lot of children at that age, a lot of young people at that age will start working. Right? They may be doing some odd jobs here and there. They may, be uh, they may be working for some low paid job here and there because they want money. Nowadays, what matters is money for a lot of people. So people want money. So they're going to go and do a job. And sometimes it just helps them from getting out of the house, gives them something to do. So if they're doing a job, whatever, you need to help them budget with that money. Because one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people are having today, and you know, how, uh, maybe you'll agree with this, is young 18, 19, 20 year olds right, with a car 
with an access to a car or with a friend with a car and money because that is the two factors that are essentially the keys to huge amounts of fitna because they will go into shisha lounges they will go, uh, i mean because they think shisha lounge is a bit more halal than a uh, than a pub or a bar or some other club like that but i've been into a shisha lounge a friend of mine took me into a shisha lounge just to show me the environment and it is not healthy at all it is not healthy at all right if your children are going to shisha lounges i think that's a big issue right there because there's just so much haram that goes on there besides the shisha shisha is just an excuse it's just a thing to come over but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in those places right so having a lot of money and uh, uh, not being able to budget not understanding responsibility is is a recipe for disaster right so i know one person who used to who started making money he was living with his parents and um, i think yeah he was he got married as well he got married as well now he it was a bit of a he liked going out and eating a lot <clears throat> and basically going out and spending a lot of money like that and maybe taking a few holidays or going out and and about and so on so what his father did was he told him to start now his father's well off but his father told him that i want you to start paying me a rent for staying in the house and you know for whatever else because at the end of the day that they're doing the shopping and everything like that as well so i want you to start paying me now the son says that i felt really really bad right uh, it, it was really an embarrassing situation that why is he charging me he's got so much money or whatever the case is so he must have stayed with his parents for one or two years i can't remember right one or two years and then the day it came to for him to move out right <clears throat> the day it came for him to move out of the house of his parents home to get his you know to move into his own home eventually his father came and gave him a wad of money and this was a long time ago when cash was still the case right so he gave him a big wad of money and he said that look you may have felt very bad when i started charging you for staying here but the reason i charged you was for your own benefit because i know that if i hadn't charged you then all of this money would have been gone right you would have just spent it on eating and all of these other outings and things like that but today you, this is going to help you right for your new house and subhanallah this uh, young man says that you know i felt so appreciative of what had happened even though i felt so bad earlier <clears throat> that's what you call you know tarbiya right that's what you call tarbiya i asked uh, a number of my students who are all like 20 something and most of them they were not married and i asked them if they pay in their households Uh, so actually many of them did pay in their households even though they're not married yet because they're working they contribute to the house some of them their parents have retired their father has retired so there's no <clears throat> you know big income coming in uh, maybe the parents uh, the father uh, is getting a pension or something like that so that's why they contribute to the house some actually even manage the house even though they're not married because the father's not there anymore right he's passed away or something so they have to actually take responsibility um i don't um um I, I, in my situation my my son works and he studies and he has uh, you know he's busy basically 7 days a week right and i know what he does and what he doesn't do right so i don't charge him anything and the reason i don't charge him anything is because i know he's not wasting his time we've taught him how to budget we've taught him how to save we've taught him how to invest because at the end of the day he's going to need that money if he wants to continue studying even beyond you know uh he, he and where he may not be able to have a job right so <clears throat> if i saw my son wasting his money and just flinging it here and there 
and just literally just going into um, uh, just eating every day, eating out every day, going to dessert parlors and all the rest of it that people do, right? Just too regularly and too much. I would start charging him, right? But the reason I'm not is because I know he's managing his money well, right? So <clears throat> you can have different relationships. You can do different things as long as you can teach them to budget, to plan for the future, to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to spend in the correct ways. <clears throat> so <clears throat> get them into shopping, maintenance jobs, cooking, hosting guests. That's a really, really important aspect, cooking and hosting guests. Sometimes you should just tell them like, you will, we're going to have guests. I want you guys to do all the preparation and all the planning for that. Or we're going to have a party for people, you know, because maybe you're, um, brother has graduated or you have graduated I want you to plan the party I want you to plan the reception <clears throat> what's really important in all of this is that the expectations need to be known right so don't spring things on them right if they uh, have a trend uh, have, have a system in the house where everybody knows what job is cut out for them right what job is cut out for them so <clears throat> all of that is very important now, let's just talk a bit about marriage, okay? I've got several lectures on marriage online, so uh, I, I don't need to talk about it as much here, and it's a very short amount of time. But marriage now is how to select a partner. So I would say the most important thing is you don't want to impose on them what kind of person they need to be married to. That is absolute no-no. You cannot say, this is a person I found, you have to marry them. That's just, that is just absolutely wrong. If that's in your culture, well, you need to throw that part of culture out, okay? <clears throat> if the person is a good person, you need to have a conversation with your children after they become 17, 18, that look, you're eventually going to get married. Maybe you're not going to get married at 18 or 19. Maybe you're going to get married at 20, 21, 22. But our expectation is that we would like you to marry a person of this kind of background. Keep it broad, right? You can have ideas. You can have a criteria, right? Because the best marriage is the one where the child, the, the, the son, and, <clears throat> and, and, the, and the parents both have a similar criteria that converge together. So maybe the parents had a slightly... Uh, different criteria and the child has slightly different criteria but if you have this conversation and you say to them that i would i would like to know from you what kind of a person you may be interested in marrying marrying so if they say for example that i'd actually like to marry a convert and if that's a no-no for you for whatever reason you should marry converts i mean you know that's not a bad thing at all they need to be incorporated into the existing families but if that's something that you just don't want to deal with for a good reason, for whatever reason, you want somebody to marry your, you want them to marry somebody of your culture, I think that's valid. Okay. That is going to be, that's absolutely valid. Right. But at least as long as you voice and you come to some terms, so don't stick to all of the criteria that you have in mind, but come to some con convergence between the two ideas. That is very, very important. If you can make them feel like you're uh, uh, according to their criteria and according to your criteria, that's the absolute best. You cannot start this off by stringing it onto them. You cannot impose this onto them. You have to build that from a young age. I see a lot of parents who are complaining now that they don't want to marry their cousin sister. Well, you've done a bad parenting job, right? If they don't want to do that, because you should not you, you should have had been you should have been discussing this and making their mind from before if you've not done that then it's your own fault all right 
So <clears throat> I think uh, have a common criteria, common agreed criteria. Then you have to determine uh, that you have to let them have a say. You can't impose marriage. Some cultures are very bad at this. Some cultures are very good at this. Now, the other thing is about the wedding day. For example, we've got a situation right now with somebody who is, mashallah, a very decent individual, and he wants to keep a measured amount, uh, a budget for the wedding. But what's happening is that his father wants to go overboard, right? His father wants to go overboard, and he wants to invite, you know, so many more people and do all of this other stuff. But the kid doesn't have the that doesn't have the funds for it and he doesn't want to take a loan so what's the real oppression here is that the pair the father wants him to um the father wants him to have this big wedding but he doesn't want to pay for it he wants his son to pay for everything but it's beyond the son's budget and the son is trying to be reasonable and that's completely wrong I would say that if you want a big wedding and your son's okay with it or your daughter's okay with it and you're going to pay for it, meaning the parent is going to pay for it, that's maybe understandable, right? But if you want your son to pay for it and you want it to be bigger than and then you want, you're forcing them to take a loan, that's completely wrong, right? That's not on. So it could be small, small issues like that. You just have to uh, play along in a way that makes sense, right? Um, once you do get married, that, that's a whole whole other subject right when once a person gets married sorry once they bring uh, their daughter-in-law into the house i mean uh, if you're getting your daughter married then it's going to be a son-in-law they're probably going to go away so clearly when it comes to a daughter right who you're getting married off then she needs to be trained so that it's just going to be easier for her when they go to the other family there's just so many daughters as i said they've been spoiled at their own homes They've not been told how to cook, clean, or manage a house. They've just not been taught that. When they get into this new home situation, right, it's just a disaster because they expect that you're going, you should know something, right? Now, I know that there's a lot of oppression from in-laws as well in that case, right, that they're just not relenting enough. They're not kind enough. They're not, they don't have enough patience, and they just want everything faster. They want you to adjust and be exactly according to how they want them. But parents can help by training their daughter to manage different scenarios, right? Hopefully that will avoid at least some of the arguments. Now, when you're bringing a daughter-in-law in the house because your son is married to them, right? Then you're going to have to pretty much try to act as, uh, as though they're your own daughter, right? Uh, that, that's a whole different dynamic. Now, the biggest difficulty in all of this is the position of your son. He has to listen to his wife and he has to listen to his parents and he is the balancing factor. If he listens, and this is human trait, that if somebody criticizes somebody else in front of you, eventually you will feel negative towards them. So what will happen is parents will go and start talking about negative things about their daughter-in-law. Right? Or maybe the daughter-in-law, his wife, will start talking negative about their parents. And that just messes with his head. But that's inevitable. That might happen uh, for, from the son's perspective. But I'm talking to parents right now. You shouldn't do that. You need to be open-minded. And if you're concerned and you're here today, I hope that you don't do this. Right? If you are concerned, then that's why you're here today. Because I think if you're not concerned about this stuff, you probably wouldn't be here today. Try to use as much patience as possible. The person that's coming into your home has done a lot more sacrifice than your son has. You have to remember that. Your daughter-in-law has a lot more sacrifice than your son has. Your son's still in his home, still in his comfort zone, 
still with his parents, still being looked after. She has abandoned everything, her family, etc., and come to a new lifestyle. It takes time to adjust, right? You have to realize that. Now, if you've been treated badly by your mother-in-law, that doesn't mean that you must now continue that tradition, that negative, oppressive tradition, and uh, and do the same thing. You don't don't say, "Oh, this is what we had to do. This is what we had to do." Go with the times. If this is not what is culturally acceptable anymore, then don't try to bring in a 20-year-old, 20-year-old old culture because culture has changed, right? Be more relenting. You don't want a fire. You don't, if you have, if you have grief and you have bad um, negative feelings towards your mother-in-law, which are probably never going to go, then don't make that happen in your daughter-in-law. Make her love you, right? That will make a big difference. Okay, so let me let me stop here. There's a lot more to say, obviously, especially in the marriage realm. But uh, let me stop here so I can take maybe more re the relevant questions that people may have in their mind right now. So uh, is that okay? Can I open it up for questions now? That's absolutely fine, inshallah. So brothers and sisters, uh, alhamdulillah, so we'll be taking on questions now. The Q&A function is available on this Zoom webinar. So feel free to post your questions over there, inshallah. So the first question that has come through is, what is your advice if the eldest child is not reliable, trustworthy, or able to make sound decision and younger siblings in need of guidance? Allah, Allah. Um, you see, you're going to have to just do the best that you can now. If they're not reliable and trustworthy or whatever, then that means that there's something that has gone wrong in the past. I don't want to rub that in. But at the end of the day, that's because of, some breakdown in the nurturing beforehand that's why uh, they've gone to that level or maybe they've just or maybe the nurturing was fine but then they just got into bad company uh, i think all you can do right now is be practical and think about it and see how you can bring them around maybe talk to some of their friends maybe encourage them to because sometimes they're now out of your hands as well you can't really do much with them otherwise you're going to lose them fully then it's just about maintaining that relationship remember that re remember that hair example that your relationship is still like that it's really they're pulling a lot in that case you have to just make a lot of dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hope that it's just a phase that allah snapped them out of it all right and then uh, uh i guess it's a time of introspection did we do anything wrong about this can we uh, give some sadaqah can we write it for ourselves can we correct it for ourselves and 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 so on so there's several things like that that you can do. I, I, there's not going to be one thing that you can do because there's just so many different dynamics involved in this. Next question says, if you find your teenager looking at haram content on the internet, how do you best prevent this from happening so that they go on to say that they had an experience where they have been trying to send them to Islamic school and they've made them aware of these matters, but yet they still have found this situation happening basically? That's again another difficult. You could do your best, have the best um, environment in the home, and all of these things are, you know, you, you've tried to, um, you know, sort everything out, and then you've found this to happen. I think positive reinforcement is going to be it. So, what needs to happen with young people? Uh, we need to be aware of the fitness. So, they, I mean, one is that the maktabs and so on, uh, we can hope, you should let them know. I think you should let your child's teacher know when you find out about certain things. It could be through an anonymous letter. Some of your students are doing this because you may not want, a lot of people want to hide what goes on in their houses. And look, the, to a certain degree, that's okay. You don't want the whole town talking about you. But at the, at the same time, I think people leave it too late. They can't handle it. 
So if they can't handle it, then let somebody else know. I think whenever something like that happens, I think they should send an anonymous letter to the imam so that they can cover this stuff in Jumu'ah. People make away and they should also maybe send an anonymous letter, if not an explicit letter, to their child's teacher. But they should also speak to them themselves. So number one, you need to obviously have your parental controls, right? Which means that if your internet would allow anything and they're logging in through the Wi-Fi, right? Um, so that, that, that should be something that they can't. I mean, children, if they really want to, they can probably go against that by uh, using um, uh, a different server and things like that anyway. Um, but you do your best. But I think positive reinforcement and creating love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear of the punishments of the hereafter, that's why ta'aleem is very, very important. So if I would notice something like this, I would probably including it, include it in the ta'aleem session, in the reading session. So you don't have to, like, if you think it's going to be bad to maybe bring it up, like confront them, then do it through the, uh, on the side through a ta'aleem session. Like just discuss it over the dinner, right? And say, look, these are really bad things that are taking place there. And this is the what will come off it. This will be the harms that will be born off this. So these are several different things that you, you could try and make a lot of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, regarding treating children equally, I have three girls with very different personalities and circumstances. I have to deal with them according to what's best for them as an individual. Whilst I still try to be fair regarding general rules, I do struggle with them finding some things unfair. Am I doing wrong? Okay, that's a very difficult question to answer because I don't know what they're finding unfair. Right. It could be so many things and maybe you are being unfair. I don't know. So for to answer a question like this, I think it needs to be a lot more explicit that, for example, I bought somebody one thing and I didn't buy somebody another thing. What is that unfairness? I, if I give an answer to this, it's going to be that, OK, as long as it's absolutely you know, appropriate what you're doing. And one because one of those daughters who are finding it unfair, maybe she's just overly sensitive. Maybe she just feels victimized for a reason. Maybe she's got a mental health problem. Maybe she's got insecurity issues. There could so be so many factors about this. That's why this is so difficult, right? Um, that, meaning that's why this whole parenting is so difficult. That's another thing I didn't talk about, that many of our girls, especially more than boys, they say that at least 25% or so have mental health issues relating to something or the other. Is this related to that? right? What it is, you're going to have to dig deep and find out if you're trying your best, if you think you're right, right? And you're doing the best for each, then you have to try to wonder why is one of my daughters feeling that way, right? And you have to dig deep and try to figure that out and help her with that because that then is our responsibility, right? To help her try to not feel unfair, right? So that may be one way to look at it. What would be the right age to start searching uh, for marriage proposals, uh, especially in, uh, for daughters, as they want, would like to focus on their careers? That's a, you see, I would say the sooner the better, right? Then they can carry on their career with their husbands, as long as you kind of have that discussion with the future husband that she's going to have a career. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't agree with all of this. I, I believe that maybe maximum about 21, 22 Anything more than that, then you're really going towards an expiry date. And it's getting, I know there's girls that who wait until 28, 29, but really it just then decreases the pool and then just gets much more complicated. So I think in this day and age, maybe 21, 22 is probably the latest, 23, you know, latest. 
um, and j- just do your best. Let them carry on their tradition afterwards. They carry on their careers or whatever afterwards. At the end of the day, for a woman, a career needs to be secondary, for sure. Like I say that openly, like it needs to be secondary. They're not, the, they're not supposed to be the breadwinners of the house. I know they may need a bit of security, but at the end of the day, their main job is to bring up the next generation. That's absolutely, that is their God-given job. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them for. That is what's recommended in our Sharia. That is, has been our tradition, right? And a tradition of the majority of places. The Western tradition has started something recently. This is only recent, last 30, 40 years. We don't know the repercussions of this. We're already seeing family breakdowns because of this idea, right? Women not wanting to have children. Men then not wanting to have children, all right? And it's just, it's just messed up. That's why there's uh, demographic problems. Uh, there, there is obviously uh, a lot of problems that which is not the time to, for us to get into this. But a career for a woman is a secondary thing, right? I'm not against career women having careers. I love productive women, right? Because I think we need them. But it can it has to be secondary to their main responsibilities of bringing up the house. Would you suggest advising your child to live within the family home after marriage, or would you advise them to find their own accommodation? I think uh, the best thing is to find their own accommodation. That's always the safest, but then you better have taught them how to manage from beforehand. So if you do that, it's just the safest opportunity. It's the safest because there's just none of that, um, uh, the, the, the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law problems that take place. In some cultures like the Malaysian culture, in the, uh, in the Tamil Sri Lankan culture, what's really interesting is that the husband goes to live with his wife at her parents' house. And I think that sounds really cool. It sounded a bit weird to me first, but it sounds really cool because she's now dealing with her mother and her mother is now teaching her while she's married. So there's not going to be any mother-in-law problems in that case. All right. But I don't think that's going to be acceptable in many scenarios. But there's another aspect to this, which I couldn't mention, which is that if you do have if you do stay with them, there's always going to be other brothers and sisters in many cases. That creates an additional because the, the sister in the house, she thinks she's the boss and she can boss her sister-in-law, the newcomer. And it's not just a mother problem. It's a sister-in-law problem. Sister-in-laws can be really, really bad as well. Right. So there's, uh, that's why it's best to just let them be on their own, have their own long honeymoon in their own house. If it came down to some essential qualities that should be embedded in every child from the parents, what would they be? I think it just being a human being, an insan, taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, responsibility, because they're going to be a parent now, so responsibility is really important. Being able to do things for themselves and not being just clueless because you've just indulged them too much. And, and then having trust and love, right? And caring for those who, who come later uh, in their own families. Any advice for being mindful where our kids' friends are majority non-Muslims, uh, young secondary age school children? Again, that just depends. Uh, I've seen a case, uh, probably more seldom, uh, I've seen a case where uh, it was actually better for that person to have non-Muslim friends than have Muslim friends. Now, why do I say that? Because all the Muslims there were not really, it's sad, but all the Muslim girls there in that school, they were all into boys and everything. And the few non-Muslim friends they had came from some really orthodox homes. They were really focused on education. They were really focused on, um, um, on education. So they weren't playing around. So it really just depends. It really depends. So I'm not going to write off all non-Muslims. 
right? Because it just depends. But in most cases, obviously, if you do have Muslim friends, you're better off because you share so many more common ideas about life and about faith and so on and so forth. You feel just sometimes more comfortable because you share so much. So that's obviously going to be the default and the normal situation, right? But there could be some exceptional circumstances to this. The problem now that I've been told by people, who've, uh, by young men and women who've just gone through university is that there is no good friends in university. Sorry, in high school. Go beyond primary school, there are no, in secondary school, there are no good friends. I mean, of course, they're probably a bit of an exaggeration. But what they're saying is that because at that age, they just start wanting to uh, be with the opposite gender. They want to start watching porn. They want to start getting into all of these other harams and things like that. It's just very difficult. So to try to find the best friends, and the only way you'll be able to do that is to teach our children from a young age to incline towards such people. It's a tough job. Allah help and Allah protect. I mean, at what age should one give their child a mobile phone? How would a parent know that they are trustworthy enough? Ooh, that's a difficult one. I mean, I know, um, I, I think maybe it, it depends. It depends. 15, 16, maybe. And that's if they need it. But sometimes if all of their friends have one and they don't have one, they're going to feel really left out. So you're going to have to manage that as well. Right? Mm. Uh, there's just a follow on. Uh, Mufti Sahib, is it not also important that our daughters are encouraged to have a balance as we find that by saying girls' career secondary creates a social problem in the case of especially in areas and fields where we need female representation? No, I think there's just so many women spending, uh, so many women in careers that I don't think what I'm going to say is going to upset that balance because mm, uh, the, the, the tradition today is that they all should go in. So I'm trying to make it very clear it is secondary because it is secondary. It, for no woman is it primary over her family to go and go and do something. No, it's not. We've got enough women who the best for this is we've got women who've already, mashallah, brought up their kids, their, their, their children are now teenagers. They've got enough time to do this kind of thing. We don't want 20, 22-year-olds trying to do this kind of job. Their focus is something else right now, right? But yes, our 40-year-old women, 40, 45, they can take care of all of this stuff. They're mature now. They've got a lot more, you know, they've got a lot more stability. Their children are, mashallah, sorted. That's who should be doing this responsibility. So I don't think that uh, it's important to, uh, to, to, to encourage that they should be focused on their careers. Okay. Yes, we do need some medical doctors and things like that among women. We definitely need that. But they need to, uh, th th that they need to realize how they can balance the two. So yeah, maybe that conversation needs to happen for, for those kind of women. Maybe I'm thinking about it from a slightly different perspective. Okay, go on. Um, next question says, what do you do in the situation when the child now believes they are adults and should be left to make their own de decisions and clearly say to back off now with regards to Dini values and what they are doing is fine and, and it clearly isn't to the parents? Well, look, that, there's two aspects of this. Now, is that why are they saying this now? Is it because of bad nurture, right? So now all you can really do in that kind of a case is that you're going to have to try your best to try to bring them back and to think about religion because that's a religious issue now, all right? Uh, you have to do your best to make them concerned about religion. You need a lot of dua to Allah and you need to maybe change the way you speak about religion. At the end of the day, though, that if it's going to be a make or break situation, you're just going to have to let them go and, and, and learn on their own. There's not much you can do because it's just going to create a bigger wall. Then that means 
any kind of input you might have in the future is not going to be useful and if and effective at all so sometimes you may have to let them go right and just let them fare for themselves if it, especially if they're still in the house and they're going to corrupt their i've seen where if you carry on with this situation it corrupts the others right it corrupts the other siblings in the house as well um I know I'm giving you, uh, uh, you know, I do want to say that I'm giving you kind of just uh, quick answers because of the shortness of the time. And, uh, you know, if I'm wrong in any of this, Allah forgive me. But as I said, there's not one way in all of this. I can just try to provide a bit of guidance. Regarding raising our girls with appropriate education living in the Western world, would you recommend at a certain age our girls go into homeschooling and at the same time studying Tarbiyat basic alimiyah type program whilst studying the schooling curriculum at home? Um, there's so many things in that question. There's One is homeschooling. One is uh, learning Tarbiyah. So I think homeschooling, I, I, I'm not going to discuss homeschooling, all right, because I, I don't know if that's the main thrust of this question. Uh, but the main thing is that I think it's a great idea. And I think we need more, not Alima courses. Alima course, I think, is only for a few women. It's only for those who really want to do some work in that. Not every woman, to be a good Muslimah, they don't have to do Alima course. And the problem we have in our masjids and institutes that are providing this is they don't provide anything less than an alima course it's like everybody must become an alima to learn their deen and that's not right alima is a scholar if a woman wants to become a scholar she's got the aptitude for it bismillah but you need these two-year three-year courses that are just there to teach them so but isn't that covered in maktab somebody's going to say in maktab you cover children level stuff right this is more adult-related stuff. So when they've now become mature, they're teenagers. So we need to teach them at that level. So these Sanatit, and I'm sure Mispa Academy has one, right? Um, and many other places have this. We need a lot more of those courses that all girls and guys over the age of 15, 16 should take that kind of a course because they should continue their Islamic education, right? They don't have to study Arabic, and the deeper books of fiqh and jurisprudence and everything, but they need to at least have an adult-based understanding of religion as well. It's really, really, really helpful. Okay? Uh, my son recently got married and living with us, and I try my best not to interfere and ignore, but I've noticed that sometimes my son is being addressed rudely. When small chores are given, she will wait for my son to do the chore or will call him to do it in front of us. Now, I've taught my sons well by doing chores in the home, but this doesn't seem too good. But only Allah knows best as he goes to work six hours a day and does his share. In this case, should I be saying anything or talk to her mother in regards to this? She's from a very pious home. I don't understand the question. Who's saying what to whom? So I believe this is the mother-in-law uh, wanting to address the daughter-in-law about uh, a lack of care in terms of keeping up with chores. I don't know how to answer that question because is the mother in uh, I, I just got a call from a daughter-in-law who's from somebody who says that their daughter, uh, the daughter-in-law is not allowed to even sit for a moment. Like she just has to be constantly on her feet doing a job. So I don't know. That's a very difficult one. That needs a longer answer. And I think I've dealt with that in many of my lectures online. 
right? It depends. Are you being overly oppressive or what the case is that you want your daughter-in-law to do everything and your son to do nothing just because he works six hours a day, right? It just depends what that dynamic is. I think if you want, I mean, you can call me or another scholar to actually detail it properly and we can have that discussion. Some of these are very, very detailed issues that it's very difficult to give a general answer. Do you have any du'as, wadifas, surahs we can pray for Hidayah and help with current guidance of our children? Yeah, verse, I think it's 74 of Surah Al-Furqan. Verse 74. رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ عَيُّنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Right, I would definitely read that. Uh, it's mentioned in my marriage book as well. Right, uh, Verse 74 of Surah Al-Furqan. Keep reading that. And just asking Allah. Just asking Allah. How can you deal with intercultural marriage? Up to now, a child has been very respectful and responsible. What's the issue with the intercultural? I mean, like, what's the issue? Um, I think they're suggesting there's maybe some sort of clash of culture, perhaps. Yeah, I think just, just retype the question with a bit more detail. Like, what's the issue with intercultural marriage? Okay. So um, I'll give you my thoughts anyway. I think people... Uh, the best situation is to actually get married within your own culture. It's just easier because when you get married, you're learning about the other person and their individual uh, traits and everything. If you're going to throw in there other confusions about culture as well, because culture is something you have to learn, right? Bang Bangladeshi culture is very different from Gujarati culture. Uh, certain Punjabi culture is very different from Patan culture, right? So if you have to even learn 10 aspects of that culture along with the 20 aspects of the person you're adding a lot of things that you have to learn right so it adds complication however i think in about 40 50 years you won't have to worry about that anymore because we would have eventually become a very homogenous culture eventually but right now people have just come 20 30 40 years uh, 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 20 30 years ago from different places and the cultures are still quite strong if you can, if you're willing to learn and you're willing to entertain another culture and your family is as well, alhamdulillah, that's great. But just remember, there's going to be more complications in dealing with a different culture, even for the extended families, because they have to try to take part, right, in the other person's cultural aspects, because marriage is never between two individuals, it's between two families and maybe even two cultures, so if you're going to add the culture element being different there, it's going to get even more complicated. But if you want to do that, alhamdulillah, that's great. Yeah. So I think this might be a woman who's now entered into the uh, in-laws house and she's saying, how do you keep things fair with in-laws when the elder brother and his wife cause issues? You can just ask Allah for help. It just depends on how spiteful that brother and sister and how much, how much, uh, uh, strength they have and what position they already have in the house all right you're going to have to just do your best otherwise you're going to have to move out the only way to save certain marriages like that is to move out so if the older brother-in-law is not going to move out then you do you're going to do your best to try to reconcile try to maybe be of extra service or whatever to try to bring the peace but if they're just bad because sometimes that's where it is you can do anything and they won't change if you look at it very negatively, then the only way out of this is to be separate, right? But you do your best and you try to reach out, maybe have a conversation, right? That look, what is the issue? We, if there's an issue, you know, we will try to sort it out. Just on that note, what would be any obligations of a woman to her parents-in-law? 
Well, the thing is that if you are going to be in that situation, you're going to have to be expected to work. So don't agree to be living with the in-laws if you don't want to do anything, right? But mashallah, there's a lot of wonderful women out there who don't mind helping. They don't mind being there. It's nice to have your mother-in-law around, especially when you have children. If they're a nice mother-in-law because you can leave your children, then you can go out and do other things and follow and you know pursue something. And But the responsibility-wise is that there's two things. Number one, from a purely technical perspective, that in a Muslim country, somebody, could they take you to court for or not? Then you have no obligation towards them at all. You only got obligation towards your husband. But socially speaking, your obligation is whatever that family and your family kind of is used to, all right? That's the thing. You're going to have to decide whether you're... We can tell the mother-in-laws as much as we can that, you look, you know, you need to treat them fairly and everything. But you're going to... Exp- you're, if you're going to live with a family, even if you forget the whole mother-in-law system, if you live in a shared accommodation with somebody else, you're going to have to take part in what other people have as well because you're all eating together. You're all living together. <coughs> So that's going to have to be a discussion. So would you say it's not necessarily about obligations, rather some sort of communication? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't want to be in that situation, don't just don't get into it. What, what if kids start some drugs just to fit in with the kids at school or other to open extended family kids? I'm talking about 15 years and above. You, you, need to, you, you need to take some really serious measures. You need to sit and talk to them, maybe get somebody else to talk to them as well. Uh, and have a conversation with them about the harms of this. People will be destroyed by this kind of thing. You cannot take this lightly, all right? Uh, you have to speak to them. You have to try to cut them off from their friends. Go, go, go for a holiday somewhere if you have to. Uh, I, I don't know. You're going to have to take some really serious because once that kicks in, then it's very, very difficult to get rid of afterwards. So try to get it as early as possible by trying to explain to them this is harmful. Show them druggies, right? Give them examples of that, show them documentaries about this or whatever the case is, but try to make them understand this is not, and then change their set of friends. Allah help, Allah help. Yeah, I I really apologize that we couldn't answer all of these other hundreds of uh, this, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 questions we've got. Unfortunately, we just don't have the time. I mean, uh, I think next time, I think we'll just start earlier. Uh, Sorry, next time we'll just give a smaller discussion, right? And uh, deal with that, inshallah. Uh, take more questions, inshallah. Maybe in the future, sometime. I'd like. I'd li- actually like to take more questions. Yeah. Okay. Jazakallah khair. I'll send it over to you guys. Uh, please pray. I pray that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala assist all of us in this regard. It is tough. It is tough, and it can't. It, it, we can't sleep. We can't. We can't sleep. Right. Uh, we can't be sleeping in this case. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.